Before we get started with today's episode of Amped Up with Ryan Knight, we want to let you know that we have exclusive bonus content on Patreon at patreon.com slash amped up. You can find the video versions of all our interviews, so make sure you check out our bonus content today at patreon.com slash amped up. Thanks for your support and enjoy the show. Welcome to Amped Up. This is your host, Ryan Knight, and we have uh, multiple guests today for the first time. This is exciting, you guys. Uh, our uh, and our guests today are organizers with the March for Medicare for All, who are here to discuss a new rally that they are planning for October 30th. Uh, Sharif Sukuru and Eric, welcome to Amped Up. Oh, thank, thank you so you. much, Ryan, for having us have. Before we us. talk about the new protest you're planning, why don't you each take a minute or so to introduce yourselves to uh, my audience and maybe share a little bit about what moved you to get in the fight uh, for Medicare for All. Uh, Sharif, why don't we start with you? Okay, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I've um, I've told this story several times before, but I um, I never have a problem telling it again. Um, so I'm new to activism. Um, I actually got into um, activism because um, Bernie Sanders, believe it or not, um, when he dropped out of the race and said, "Now is the time for Medicare for all," um, that opened my eyes, um, like so many others, um, and said there was a problem here. Like if Bernie Sanders is quitting and saying now is the time for Medicare for all during a global pandemic. That's a problem, hmm. um, but I didn't. I didn't initially um, say, okay, tomorrow I'm going to jump out and be an activist. You know, during the summer of last year, I stayed home with my kids, a social distance. You know, I watched, um, you know, plenty of uh, podcasters such as yourself, and to Uh-oh. stay, um, stay, and stay clued in and what was going on, and and just you know, like I always do it. But then um, when force to vote happened, I was like, okay. Maybe this is the plan. Maybe this is the play because Bernie said now was the time. Maybe that was the time. Maybe this is like the backroom deals we always hear about in politics. You know, maybe there's maybe Bernie was saying, you know, wait, guys, we got something in the works. You know, calm down. We got something. And I said, OK, well, this is it. Right. And when that botched, that didn't happen. I was like, okay, I can't sit home with my kids anymore. I got to go out and do something. Hmm. So I literally um, decided to go to different groups. I, I contacted Movies for People's Party. I contacted DSA, Our Revolution. I went on um, the Green Party. I went to so many different other organizations, so many different groups, and asked them, what are you doing? What are, what's the next step? We're in a global pandemic. You know, how can we help people? You know, where do, where do, we, where do we go from here? I even joined the Force to Vote group. Where do we go from here? And I didn't like the answers I was getting. I just really didn't. So a lot of different a lot of different people who are in these different groups, we all came together. And this is how March for Medicare all kind of started. Just from diff, different volunteers from these different groups, we all came together and said, hey, we want to do something. We're going to create a march. So in January, that's really the the, um, the inception. You know, um, from that point, we said, OK, we're going to have one march. And then it got popular and then it grew and grew. And then more people wanted to get involved. And then. One of the questions that popped up is, well, how are we going to get all these people to D.C.? Because that's what the march was going to have. We was going to go to Washington, D.C. We went to Washington, D.C. Um, and we was like, well, we can't afford to get people there. So let's turn it into a bigger event by having multiple marches across the country. Right. So we went from one march to 56, which is to me still to this day, which is incredible. On July 24, we had that many marchers. Um, and that's really how I started. It was all due to the fact that. We all was looking to not only elected officials, but these different organizations who are established to do something. And because we felt like they wasn't doing enough, 
we want to step in. And that's, and that's not to poo-poo on them and say, you know, they're not doing a good job or whatever the case may be. It's just that I'm a little bit more direct. I need to feel like something's being done. Like I need to, I need to be in the street to feel like, okay, I'm making some type of, you know, change of some way. Um, so that's why, you know, we're the march. We always try to, you know, continuously to find different actions to do. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Sukuru. Yeah, thank you. Hi, uh, my name is Tsukuro Force. I'm based in LA. Uh, I am originally from Japan, have been in this country for 31 years now. Mm. Um, I come from uh, anti-nuclear, anti-militarism activism, um, actually, uh, because I went to school in Hiroshima uh, when I was in junior high and senior high, uh, where 350 students lost their lives on August 6th. So uh, anti-nuke, uh, passion for anti-nuclear is really in my blood. And uh, so that's how I started out. But uh, so recently, I, I would say like a year or two ago, um, it's just really, you know, um, I became frustrated, frankly, because, um, you know, all of us um, working on a single issue, I didn't think, you know, I didn't see it was working. And uh, uh, as an anti-military, you know, anti-militarism, anti-war activist, uh, we are always uh, sort of criticized for kind of like a being in our own silo and not being able to attract, you know, more people to our movement. So, uh, you know, that got me thinking that, you know, it really should be a multi-issue activism. You know, we should be uh, all working together because like the root of the issue, you know, which we'll probably get into that later, is really the same, you know. Yep. So uh, that's, that's how I got involved in Medicare for All. Uh, well, actually, it was like Eric, you know, <laughs> Eric, my partner in crime, uh, wanted to do a march in San Francisco. So I just jumped in to help. So, <laughs> but, you know, uh, actually, uh, more on a, on a more personal note, uh, I lost my job in February of this year. Um, I, I, I worked in this uh, consulting farm for 21 years. Uh, and, uh, you know, we closed down the operation because we couldn't survive the COVID, you know, um, recession. So, so, yeah, losing my insurance and losing my daughter's insurance, that was really huge for me. It was like a huge wake-up call. I mean, you know, insurance premium was always ridiculously expensive for our family. You know, I'm a single mother, um, and uh, it's ridiculous that we have to pay, you know, hundreds of dollars a month, you know, to just get health care. And uh, especially, like, I'm from Japan. <laughs> Where you know getting healthcare is like uh, air you you breathe. You know people do not think anything of it. You know if they have to right. pay like ten dollars a visit, they complain because they are like, oh, that's too expensive. You know I spent too mm. much money, right? So like um, losing my job, losing my insurance, and I was like, well, this is the time. You know if I just if I do not stand up and do something right now, you know I mean what what do I have to lose, right? I don't yeah. have I don't have anything right. to lose, so I think right. not only me but we reached to reached at this point that you know we it's like now or never, right? right. So I think you know uh, it's just such an honor and a privilege to uh, work with you know all of us uh, in in our group and also like out you know uh, everyone who came to the march and uh, really excited about you know continuing to do this. So <laughs> that's all. You have an incredible backstory. I just want to real quick, they, 
you come from anti-imperialism work because, uh, and you talk about how, uh, you know, it's all connected and it is all connected. You know, I often refer to uh, our system as a decrepit capitalist and imperialist system. And what it yep. does at its core is it puts profits uh, above everything else, including human lives uh, and the sustainability of our planet. And, um, you know, what's standing in the way of liberation and justice for all and what's standing in the way of, of every human being having basic fundamental rights, healthcare being one of them, uh, a sustainable planet being another one, housing, uh, clean air, water. What's standing in the way of all those fundamental rights is this decrepit system uh, that is built on exploiting the working class uh, to enrich uh, the ruling class. Uh, and so, so you'll see a constant thread uh, of when we're fighting for a policy to give people basic human rights, it's always the money that's standing in the way. It's the big money. It's the corporate money, right? It, it's, it's the giant corporations. It's, the, it's either the giant insurance companies or, and big pharma when it comes to healthcare. But when it comes to peace, uh, it's, it's the defense industry. Uh, it's the, it's the for-profit uh, war machine. Uh, when it comes to you know, incarceration, it's these for-profit prisons that are standing in the way of liberation uh, for, for you know, predominantly black and brown people that are locked up. So there's a constant theme uh, in this country and in the world uh, that, that there's a system that's, that's pressing down the masses to enrich a select few at the top. And that system is really the rot, and, and that's what has to go. And I think that, you know, as we start to work together and you start to see other people who also believe in liberation for all people, uh, it it's a very exciting energy to be around. And I got that from each of you immediately, like when Sharif started talking and then Sukuru when you went. So I'll shut up now. Uh, Eric, uh, go ahead. Please uh, introduce yourself and, and, and share with us how you got uh, inspired to get in the fight for Medicare for All. Yeah. <clears throat> Thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, I am a born and raised San Franciscan. My family's been here since before the earthquake. So activism is really in my blood. I've always been the type, like Sharif said, to really get to action, get in the streets. And it wasn't until I got to college that I realized what a multicultural bubble I was living in. Um, like, you know, San Francisco being the city that fights for the underdog that, you know, cares for, quote unquote, cares for working class people where so many labor movements were started. Um, towards the end of high school, there were a lot of school budget cuts going on. I also continued that fight in college. I was heavily involved in the Occupy movement, um, heavily involved in racial justice movements. Um, I helped my friend co-found the beginnings of a nonprofit during the George Floyd uh, protest last year. And um, to the extent that at April, I launched my campaign for the U.S. House of Representatives right here in California's 12th Congressional District. Let's go. <laughs> right? <laughs> what have we got to lose? Um, when it comes to Medicare for all, you know, really what Sukru said about how all of these issues are all related and what I realized is um, this year in particular, two of my friends lost their grandmothers to pure, like there's just no reason why they should have been dead in four weeks. Um, and like the cancer should have already been at stage four when they found it. I realized that I always had access to really good healthcare and that wasn't, that's not necessarily the norm. Hmm. Um, right. 
And you know what? The rest is history. It came up on Medicare, March for Medicare for All came up on my Twitter feed. We were, I think, at five or six marches then. And I just assumed there was already a march for San Francisco. So I said, count me in. There wasn't. So me and Sucre locked arms and here we are. And it's funny too, Ryan, like like so many different people, when they reached out to us, it was like saying, uh, oh, there has to be a march in our city, right? <laughs> I was like, there isn't, but you can start one. <laughs> yeah. uh, let, let's talk about the, the new rally that you're planning uh, kind of as the, the follow-up uh, for the March for Medicare for All. Uh, it's on October 30th uh, in San Francisco, mm-hmm. and you will be marching directly to Speaker Nancy Pelosi's home and demand that she take action to support the passage of Medicare for All into law. The march is called, uh, and I quote, the Day of the Dead, and it will honor the 68,000 Americans who die annually because of a lack of health care. Where did this idea uh, come from, and what is the significance of holding this rally outside of Nancy Pelosi's home? Towards when we started doing the march um, in the middle of July, I was talking to a lot of the members of the coalition, asking them um, that you guys want to continue doing this, um, doing not just a big march, but doing actions. Because I feel like you don't want to, we don't want to be, we don't want to be in a situation where people just say, this is a fluke. This is a one-time event. We want to grow the coalition. We want to apply more pressure. So I was thinking of different ideas and thinking of suggestions about where else can we take this. So we also did an action with at Richie Neal's home. So this is not uncommon for us. We did something like this, uh, I believe in September, we went to his home. I was there. Um, I didn't organize that action, but I just volunteered to help out. Um, so we have other ideas in the works. So one of the things I did want to do was go to Pelosi's home. Um, um, Sukuru, she thought of the name of Day of the Dead, but I was thinking about we should have a coffin for Halloween to send her home. And so that was the idea because I wanted to remind her that these are the people, um, want to remind her that 68,000 people are dying every year because of you. You're in the way. And, you, and I want to remind her of that. And I want to remind America of that too, because a lot of people just don't know that. Um, I think sometimes in, in the, on the left, we live in a bubble where we feel that people know this information and I, and we're a very small microcosm. People don't know that we exist. They really don't. Um, and like, if you just ask them, if you just talk to your community and talk to people in your neighborhood, you ask them, you know, do you know why, do you know that we're the only developed country in the world that doesn't have healthcare? I guarantee you, most of them will tell you no. They just wouldn't know that. So this is why these actions are important, because it's not just to apply pressure to a powerful. You want to reach out to your community and let them know what's going on. And I think we're we're doing a very poor job at doing that. So this is why we're doing this. We, we're not just going to Pelosi House. We're also letting people know in San Francisco, this is what's happening in your community. You need to get involved. You deserve better. You know, you're worth it. You know, we need to talk, start telling Americans that, you know, you're important, you're valuable, your life is valuable. And we need to hear that. We need to support each other. Um, so this is why those actions are important. When I started researching, like I said, more into the specifics of a medi- of a single payer healthcare system, it's just something that makes so much sense for the majority of people. I started my first business during college and I actually just sold it in January Um when I launched my campaign. And so I, I have a bit of a business mindset and, I'm, and I just, I've talked to doctors who, th- who don't wanna have to continue filling out loads of paperwork to insurance. They wanna focus on caring for their patients. You know, small business owners, that's standing in the way of their success and in the way of jobs, you know, is not being able to provide healthcare. Not, people don't, aren't going to wanna step out on a limb and become an entrepreneur if they can't get healthcare. But, the five people who are for-profit healthcare system is benefiting, it's 
just insanely ridiculous. And, you know, Mitch McConnell took a lot of heat. And I'm not saying he's a good guy at all, but it's like, look, Nancy Pelosi is to Joe Biden what Mitch McConnell was to Trump. That's There's right. no difference. Right. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And I just want to add to like uh, what Sharif said. Um, yeah. So um, this event really certainly, you know, uh, the purpose, uh, one of the purposes is to, uh, you know, increase visibility of the issue and educate to, you know, educate people. Um, so, you know, uh, what I, what I want to point out is, that you know, uh, so the money thing that I think Ryan, you brought it up, you know, earlier, I mean, Nancy Pelosi, and it's not only her, but, you know, Nancy Pelosi of all people, I mean, receives like tons of money. Like her political career has been funded uh, by, you know, real estate developers and healthcare industry. And I think people have to know that, you know, we should be exposing. And again, not only Nancy Pelosi, but virtually all politicians, and it doesn't matter Democrats or Republicans, because they both get money, you know, same amount of money from healthcare industry. So we should be exposing that. And also, uh, this is kind of like getting into detail, but another thing that we want to educate people through this event is that there's this uh, kind of like a secret uh, movement happening called DCE. It's a uh, uh, direct uh, contracting entities. So it's kind of like a private privatization of uh, Medicare that's slowly happening. Uh, so, you know, people know about Medicare Advantage. So that's that's essentially privatization of Medicare as well. But uh, DCE is actually uh, something more sinister. And uh, right. it, it's actually going, you know, uh, happening like under our radar. And uh, uh, actually the Congress uh, politicians can, uh, you know, um, actually uh, make this uh, into reality without our consent. Or they are trying to do that right now. So, you know, and, and like really few people know about it. So uh, that's like one of our demands, uh, Nancy Pelosi, to hold a hearing uh, about DCE and, and educate people how dangerous it is. This is so right. Look, I, I couldn't be happier that you're going to Nancy Pelosi's house uh, because, you know, I, I've always known the Republican Party is corrupt. They kind of wear their corruption as a badge of honor. You know, they, they brag about cutting taxes for the rich. You know, they brag about, you know, we're going to war now. You know, they, they kind of. They're, they brag about our capitalist system and, and that, you know, they they kind of overcompensate and, and act like it's the greatest thing in the world, even though it's keeping so many people down, where it's the Democrats, they're sneakier, right? They kind of pose as our ally. They pose as our friend. But the reality is, if you just go do the research, they're bought and paid for by the exact same giant corporations and billionaires that fund the Republican Party. So you see that yep. both parties are, are beholden to corporate interests, not to the people's interests. And I actually pulled some numbers uh, from OpenSecrets.org, which is a website that compiles all of the money that our politicians take. And in 2020, uh, the pharmaceutical industry, so Big Pharma, uh, gave $44.3 million to the Democratic Party, uh, to, to, the, to the Democrats in Congress. And uh, Big Pharma gave just $27.6 million to the Republicans. So Democrats are actually taking more money from Big Pharma than the GOP. Yet most liberals in this country are acting like the problem, you know, in the Democratic Party is just cinema and mansion when the whole damn party is corrupt. And let's not forget that in 2018, 
the well-documented incident where a top Pelosi advisor told insurance industry executives not to worry about Democrats who are pushing for Medicare for all because it won't pass the House. Nancy Pelosi has been actively obstructing and fighting against Medicare for all for years. So I cannot think of a better place to have this protest. And we have to be clear about one more thing. The only reason Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats won't pass Medicare for all is because they are owned by Big Pharma and the giant insurance companies. And we cannot heal what we won't reveal, meaning we need to expose all of this corruption to the public. And that's exactly what rallies like yours do. 100%. Um, most people don't realize, when you, Ryan, when you tell people that, oh, Medicare for all is going to save the government so much money, people was like, well, how does it make sense? Explain to me. Make it make sense. Like, why wouldn't the government not allow us to have Medicare for all then if they save the money? Well, the argument comes is very simple. It's because they don't run the country. It's not theirs. The corporations run the country. So that's what it comes down to. Like people need to realize that corporate interest really controls the country. It's not your government. It's not your officials. It's not AOC. It's not Joe Manchin. It's not Nancy Pelosi. All the all the corporations control this country. That's why we don't have it. And, and because they think that rules and regulations apply to everybody, and they don't. And you have to get people to understand that. I'm glad you have the numbers for uh, pharma because also for right. the military spending, um, Democrats take more money than Republicans as well yep. from defense. 100%. 100%. And I'm not going to get into Feinstein and Pelosi <laughs> and how they screwed up San Francisco with all their defense contracts. But um, right. what, I, what I will say is that Nancy Pelosi was initially in support of Medicare for all when she got to Congress. She was 30 right. something years right. ago. Right. right, she learned right. the rules of the game quick. Right, right, and that's the old. And I don't know how much more blatant it could be, people. When Joe Biden became president, and the first thing he did not do is give us Medicare for all in the middle of a pandemic that has taken over seven hundred thousand American lives. You know, but we need to go drop a bomb in Syria. No questions asked. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm obsessed with uh, researching about money. <laughs> you know, I I actually use follow the money, uh, which actually will be merging with open secrets, I guess, uh, pretty soon. But anyway, so I'm really obsessed. And yeah, Eric's absolutely right. I I I was looking at the you know defense industry and how much money they give to uh, given politicians. And yeah, Democrats really take a lot of money, a lot more money than uh, Republican. And uh, yeah, so it's kind of like, a, it's very ironic because I actually used to be a registered Republican, I mean, a Democrat as well. Uh, not anymore, though. I'm a, a no party preference now in California. Same. But, go go NPP, no party preference. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, but, you know, it's kind of ironic because like a lot of people, I mean, a lot of uh, registered Democrats, um, you know, when Trump era was over, you know, we were like, okay, you know, now we can breathe like easier. And then, like, we have, you know, uh, some of us, like, has, have an illusion that uh, now, like, you know, uh, there'll be, like, better immigration policies and, like, uh, less, you know, uh, wars and militarism and stuff like that. Well, guess what? I mean, Biden, I, I mean, I think Biden is very, very uh, bloodthirsty. You know, I, and it's not only Biden, actually. Uh, in, in the middle of Trump era, I really believe that, you know, Democrats are actually, like, uh, as big of a warmongers uh, as Republicans, 
you know, oh, yeah, they voted different. for they voted for every single one of Trump's military budgets. Exactly. And in Absolutely. fact, there was a there was legislation recently to to cut the defense budget by just ten percent. We spend almost a trillion dollars a year on war. The budget is like seven hundred and fifty billion dollars, but actually, there's a lot of other money uh, that get that gets spent. It just gets allocated differently, so it almost comes out to a trillion dollars. So over ten years, that's ten trillion dollars, and they're making a stink about three trillion dollars over ten years uh, for some, for a social safety package that is completely like moderate and doesn't even address the the root causes. You know, there's no Medicare for all or living wage, or uh, you know, in the this Build Back Better plan. But it's like it, it's insane no. to me that w- when when that bill came to the floor, ten percent cut in defense spending, the Democrat didn't pass. The Democrats did not vote for it. The majority of the Democrats didn't even vote for it. And you go look at the it, 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 the money, and they take just as much money, if not more, from the defense industry. So you know, I think the Democrats get away with it because they basically because they're liars. They go on TV when the cameras are rolling. They go on CNN or MSNBC, and they make these beautiful speeches about hope and change. And 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 even more sinister, they actually pander to the most marginalized communities. They pander to yeah. LGBTQ people, which which I am LGBTQ. They pander to people of color. They pander to black people. They pander to immigrants. They pander to people who need actual policies to improve their lives. But instead of actually fighting for policies, after they get our votes, they go in and they just feed us platitudes and then govern for Wall Street like the Republicans do. So it's like you see that 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 for me, what finally opened my eyes about a year and a half ago was that I know who the Republicans are, as most people do. They've always been corrupt, but it's the Democrats that are actually blocking real change in this country because they're kind of they pose as an ally of justice while preserving our unjust capitalist system. And so I feel like they're the ones that are really standing in the way. And until we expose that to more people, we're just going to be caught in this like kind of sham democracy. It's not a real democracy. It's a corporatocracy. It's an oligarchy where you've just got to have, you have a blue corporate party and a red corporate party. And each one, you know, tells the people whatever they need to say to, to, to get their votes and to get power. And as soon as they get power, they just funnel more money to their corporate donors. And, and, the, and the people, uh, you know, our circumstances keep getting worse and worse. Uh, and, and it's going to take all of us rising up together, uh, fight, you know, joining hands and finding solidarity with people maybe we used to disagree with in the past and and fighting for all of our basic human rights. When we fight for each other, that's when we really win. When we see that the fight is so much bigger than just for ourselves and for our own families. It's about all of us. You know, you're, um, Ryan, you're exactly right. Um, sloganeering is the tool for, um, for, um, for the Democrats. I don't care if you're a progressive Democrat or a corporate Democrat. Sloganeering is something that that's a weapon that they use every single time. Yep. And it's really hard to get that sloganeering out of people's brains. So prior to the march for Medicare for All on July 24th, I used to protest in front of AOC's office. And then people used to come up to me. I was like, do you know who you're protesting? I said, yeah, I know exactly who I'm protesting. I'm protesting AOC because we're in a global pandemic. And what is she doing for this community? You know, I lived in Jackson Heights and we got hit the hardest in New York. I live here in New York. And still to this day, there's 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 the grievance. There hasn't been a grievance. There hasn't been an apology. There haven't been anything that has benefited these people in this in this community. And um, and the reason for that is people don't want to like has there hasn't been a lynch mob yet. It's because people believe in AOC. And because when you have that sloganeering and when you have that love and, um, and affection for that politician, you don't, they hold, they, um, they can't do no wrong, 
you know, you're not going to come after them. And that's the problem, you know, and you, we have to not worship politicians as celebrities. And that's the problem. Yeah. They're celebrities first, politicians second. Yeah. I call it the celebrification of politicians, and it's it's literally killing us. It's because gross. It's the same thing happening here in San Francisco. People it's gross. love Nancy Pelosi. I've literally heard it said that they just see her name on the ballot and they check the box because that's what they've been doing for thirty-seven years. And it's, it's crazy. We're, Is it? It's a higher income bracket here in San Francisco. You know, like it's very gentrified. People don't. We don't have all the same. Um, it's a bubble. We don't have the same things going on that happen in other poor parts of the country. But people need to open their eyes. And something that I also, I, I, do, I can't wrap my head around is that do none of these politicians think of their legacy? That's my thing. Like, you, you guys act like this isn't going to, I know, Sukru hears me say this all the time, but that's what blows my mind. Like, no. one, how do you sleep at night? But two, what about in 100 years, when, or not even 100 years, when this all comes out, that you stood in the way and that you were personally responsible for thousands of deaths? No, because they'll be dead. That's why they're not thinking about it. They're thinking about their, ki- their grandkids are going to be benefiting for all the money that they got. So they're not going to care what people are going to think about them. They're like, I got mine. Go get yours. Right, right. And also well, the way I look at it, I mean, it's, you know, politicians, each politician is like running their own company, right? It's like, a, you know, a Nancy Pelosi company, and she is funded by all these corporations. So that's like what's important to her. And I don't think, you know, she or any other politician is going to care, you know, about legacy. And I may, maybe I'm very uh, too, too um, pessimistic, but that's what I uh, think. And I really think that, you know, people really stop, you know, should stop worshiping politicians because they work for us. You know, that's that's what we have to like get into our heads. They work for us. You know, they don't work for corporations. They work they work for us. I mean, we vote vote them in. Right. So I think that's what we have to like change our psychology. Well, when you kind of absolutely you guys are hitting the nail on the head. And when you kind of look back at the last few years of the movement for Medicare for all, there was great momentum during the 2020 Democratic primary, thanks in large part to Bernie making it a key issue of his campaign. And it was even starting to move the Democrats left on health care. But then after Biden won, everything changed. Democrats stopped talking about Medicare for all. And now that they control the entire government, we can't even get a floor vote on Medicare for all in the House. But yep. the people's needs haven't changed. We still need Medicare for all. And it's clear that we cannot count on the Democratic Party to fight for it. They won't even fight for the moderate public option that Biden promised in his campaign. And and what I think it comes down to is, you know, all of these rich politicians, they have their basic needs met. They all have health care. In fact, they have socialized health care that we, the taxpayers, pay for. So they don't know what it's like to struggle and suffer and live without their basic needs met which makes it easier for them to keep selling us out to Big Pharma and the giant insurance companies and all of their other corporate donors. Do the people need to stop allowing the Democratic Party to co-opt our grassroots movements and set the parameters about what we should or shouldn't fight for? Because we the people have every right to keep fighting for our basic human rights, and it's the only way we'll ever get them is if we fight for them, because they're sure as hell not fighting for us. 
But do no, we need absolutely. to separate um, things? Like, you know, movements should be organized around policies, right? Not around uh, political parties and certainly not around worshiping celebrities, you know, like AOC. You know, that's not what a movement's about. A movement is supposed to be about policies, people, you know, the planet. I, I think that people have gotten so far off track here. I'll give you, um, Ryan, I'll give you three examples um, why I don't believe in electoral politics. So no, everyone always brings up FDR about the New Deal. So the New Deal happened because um, the unions, um, organizations, people getting on the streets pushed them to get the New Deal. Lyndon B. Johnson, same thing. Civil rights passed because people was on the streets. Same thing with Richard Nixon. Third, third example. The world of war ended because people got in the street. So it's not about who's in office, right? It's about people getting out on the street, processing your elected official, and make sure it happens. So every social movement happened on the street. People always say that, oh, it matters if AOC's in office or it matters if, um, you know, Nancy Pelosi's in office because you're going to get somebody worse. It doesn't matter who's in office. They all have a job to do. They all serve the corporations. So I don't care who you get in there. So with that being said, we need to follow history. We need to know our history. The problem is that a lot of people just don't. And we have to look at those examples of why the New Deal got passed, why civil rights got passed, why women's suffrage got passed, why did we end the war in Vietnam? Why did that really happen? It wasn't because there was nice. You know, there wasn't nice about it. He got out in the street and said, you must end this right now. And, and that has to happen for healthcare. We need to get to that point when people say, enough of this shit. We want this health, we want healthcare right now, and we don't care. And that's what it's gonna take. There's a rule, the rule of three and a half percent, where historically speaking, no government has been able to say no to the people's demands when three and a half percent of the population mobilizes and gets in the streets. I think we have a sliver of an opportunity. It might be just a sliver, but we have to take it. And I think we, I think we can. Yeah. I, no, no, I agree. I think, I think within 10 years, I've said this on many podcasts. I said in 10 years, right? By 2031, we're gonna get some legislation, a big win for healthcare. It's gonna take that. It's gonna take that much. It's gonna take that long because we need to educate folks to get to that point. That's what it's gonna take. It has nothing to do with the politics. I'm not worried about politics because they're gonna do. They're gonna be. They're gonna be corrupt as they're gonna be corrupt, right? So you can't move them. So who you have to move? You have to move the American people. You have to educate That's them right. because once they're on your side and they're with you. They're going to do what they're told. AOC is going to listen. Nancy Pelosi is going to listen. Every other politician who's in office is going to listen because guess what? They won't get in, They won't get elected. And furthermore, not even getting elected, they won't get any more money because no one's going to no one's going to support them. So that's what we have to do. We have. To, this is why getting getting into the community and getting them on your side is more important because again, going back to history, why did the New Deal get passed? FDR had to tell he t he had to tell. All the um, do he had to tell all the um, all the big money interests. Listen, if you don't give them something, we're gonna we're gonna they're gonna come for us. So that's what it's gonna take. We have to do that. We have to get people in the street. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's why, like we, you know, uh, if I may speak for coalition, I mean, you know, uh, we believe mobilizing people who have never done events or rallies or whatnot. You know, we we believe in uh, mobilizing people who who are non-activists and we will give them tools to do that because I think that's what, you know, that's what it takes. 
uh, I mean, it's like in the United States and also, I mean, in Japan, where I'm, you know, where I'm from, I mean, I, I think what's lacking in our education system is like, we don't teach people how to change the world. You know, how, no, we if don't. we are unsatisfied about something, I mean, what, what do we do? You know, we don't teach them because I guess we don't want to teach them, right? <laughs> I mean, the, the powers that be want us to be like sheep. So they don't, you yeah. know, teach kids. They, they teach us like how to be how to obedient. You know, write your write Absolutely. your congressperson. You know, go go ask for go ask for permission. You know, uh, from your congressperson instead of actually blazing your own trail and building mm-hmm. a mass movement like you guys are starting to do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So we actually want to do, and I don't know if I should say this, but we want to start like uh, direct action training, right, Sharif? Yeah, in right. like major cities. Yeah. You know, so that, I've been talking. Yeah. Now, listen, I've been talking to a few older activists because I'm still learning myself. And I've been talking to older activists who've been doing a lot longer than I have and teaching folks how to do direct action. And so I want to start here in New York and then go to all the other cities we have marches and train those folks as well. So when we get out there, we will not only know how to do it, they can train others how to do it as well because we want to mobilize the community to say we're tired of this and we want we want to show a force. And we want to let our constituents know that we mean business. And that's what it's about. It's about letting them know that we're serious about this particular issue that we want to have. And we, hopefully this will enact other um, other activists in other areas, like um, when it comes to criminal justice, when it comes to the Green New Deal, when it comes to the Fight for 15. All those, all those social issues are all important. And so we all need to help each other in our community. So Sukuru said this earlier that it's a, it, all, it all relates because it does. No, and, and, you know, one of the things that, that I always come back to is, you know, right now, the corporations, the billionaire class, and both of these corrupt parties, you know, they have the power. But in a way, we also have the power. You know, I, I always go back to the pandemic, for instance. Look at this pandemic. It wasn't the billionaire class who kept this country running. It was the nurses. It was the essential workers. It, it, it is the gas station workers. It's the grocery store clerk. It's the people. It's the working class. You know, we control the economy and we can make all this corruption stop if we can come together and, and, and they can really see our and they can see, you know, uh, what and when people realize the power that we do have. That's what's going to stop the ruling class from exploiting us. That is that is the only thing that's going to stop them. So I love how you guys keep bringing bringing it back to empowering people on the local level to understand that that you know we we can get in the streets. We can start to build uh, solidarity with our neighbors and with our communities and start to fight for the dignity and justice that we all deserve. Because I think all I, look, I also think the other side of it is living under this system, this system that puts corporate profits above human lives and strips us of our basic human rights, that causes a lot of people in our communities to feel isolated, to feel alone, and to feel scared. But when you go to a protest and you see that there are other people out there who care and who are willing to fight for a better world, you realize that you are not alone and that there is power in the movement. There is power when we come together and fight for our basic human rights. And so I really think you know, what we're seeing now, we're getting to that moment in our nation's history where it's no longer, the, the real battle in this country is no longer, you know, liberal versus conservative. It's really, you know, the ruling class versus the working class. It's really the, you know, the 1% versus the 99%. And right now the 1% is kicking our ass, but we, it's time for us to get up 
Start, you know, building a solidarity with our communities and you just do it right in your local community and you see the power that we really have, you know, from stopping, uh, you know, we can shut things down from streets to, uh, to capitalist events, uh, to going outside of healthcare companies and letting them, you know, especially big pharma companies, how many people die from opioid addiction a year? You know, we have the power to do so many things to disrupt this system and then in turn educate people. But I think people are so scared that they feel like, you know, they're just trying to survive or keep their head above water. And so that's why it's important for direct action to let them know they're not alone. That there's other people that also want to fight uh, for us to all have basic human rights. I mean, you bring up a, a great point because um, at the march in D.C., um, I did more talking to people about their healthcare story, about what they're going through than actually organizing the actual event. I was just, I was talk, I was talking to people and I was just sharing their stories and and just the fact that people felt like oh someone actually does care about what I'm going through you know let me let me organize with these folks because I have I have a sense of community now because that's I felt like these marches were therapy for a lot of people people just wanted to people wanted to know that people did care about them and people care about what's going on in their personal lives. Cause we have a lot of people that's dealing with tons of personal issues that are going on in their lives right now. And I'm just in awe of the fact that people actually still with that traveled really far to, for these marches. And it lets you know that the pain and suffering that people are going through, that they still feel the need to get on a plane, to take a train or a bus and spend on their little money that they don't have to, to be in community with strangers that they don't even know. So that just speaks to where we are as a country that people are just looking for someone to listen to them because no one cares about them. That's how they feel. You know what I mean? So I, I agree with you 100% that people want this really badly. And that's what it's going to take. It's just going to take that. So it's going to take people to knowing that, you know, there's someone who actually cares about them. Just to piggyback off of what the two of you said, Sharif and Ryan, what, what, I, what I fall back to is that there's nothing more American than getting out in the streets. That's what this country was built on. Did have people forget the Boston Tea Party, the Revolutionary War? We stuck right. it to the we stuck it to the ruling class once before we can do it again. Hmm. Right. 100%. 100%. Sukuru, do you want to add anything? Oh. No, I I was just like plainly agreeing with them. I mean, yeah. Um, yeah. 100%. Yep. Um, let's talk, let's go to the next little segment here. Uh, let's talk about gatekeeping, uh, when it comes to organizing, uh, because there are so many progressive groups, <clears throat> DSA, uh, who say organize, organize, organize. But when everyday people like you guys came together and organized the Medicare for all marches, there was a lot of people that said, no, not like that. You have to organize in, in, inside of our, you know, approved group whose sole purpose is to funnel grassroots movements into a right-wing democratic party that opposes Medicare for all, which makes absolutely no sense. Uh, like we've said earlier, Democrats right now control the entire government and we can't even get a floor vote on Medicare for all. Uh, is this gatekeeping just a way to protect the democratic party from real left-wing opposition? And is this why it is so important to organize around policy issues and not around corporate controlled political parties? <laughs> there was an organization, I forgot the name of the organization because I wouldn't mind calling out the organization. I forgot the name of them because I haven't heard of them until they actually approached the March for Medicare for All. And they literally told me um, that if, you're, if you work with Jimmy Dore or if you work with the Force to Vote people, we will not work with you. I said, okay, we're not working together. Okay, we'll, that's fine. I'm fine with that. 
I will never, I will never, I'm, you're not going to put a gun to my head and tell me who I cannot work with. I said, we're about, we're a coalition. We're nonpartisan. Uh, we're a grassroots organization. We're not, tr- we're not pigeonholed to anybody. We want to work with everybody who wants to get healthcare. Uh, I'm not in the business of telling, telling somebody who I'm not going to work with and who's going to, who's going to tell me not to work with. And I was, I was, I was just shocked that they just literally flat out and told me that, listen, if you're working with so-and-so, we're not going to work with you as if they hold the power of like getting Medicare for all. I was like, well, if you have that much will, right, then you should do it. Right. I just right. feel like just, just and also newsflash, like, what they're doing isn't working. Kissing right. Nancy right. Pelosi's ass, worshiping AOC, right. worshiping Bernie, who at one point I'll admit I worshiped Bernie. I got caught up in it. I became a you know a staunch Bernie bro in the primary. But that didn't work. Putting all our no. faith and all our eggs into these politicians and into the Democratic Party, it's not, it's not giving us the result that we want. It's not improving the lives of the most marginalized people. It's not giving us Medicare for all. So we have to take matters into our own hands. We have to fight for each other and with each other and stop thinking that a party is going to do it for us, especially a party that is owned by Big Pharma and the giant insurance companies. I mean, this is insanity. They are not going to fight for Medicare for all when they're taking money from the very entities that would lose profits if Medicare for all was passed. Because Medicare for all will, will be great for my family. Well, I calculated it. We'll save like $3,000 a year if Medicare for all is passed. But it's not going to be so good for the CEO of the giant, insur- giant insurance company. You know, it's not going to be good for big pharma when now, you know, drug prices are going to be co- reduced because you basically just, you know, you, you know, we have a single payer system. So they can't, you know, uh, charge these exorbitant prices for drugs. So anyways, I, I'm a little passionate about this if you can't tell, but it's just absurd to me that, that people who think the only way to get change is to work inside of a party that is actively fighting against our interests and fighting against Medicare for all, that they have any right to tell people how they should and shouldn't organize. It's like, look what you guys are doing. It's not working. Let, let people try something else. Let's challenge the politicians. Stop worshiping them. Let's try that, maybe. Let's empower people. Oh, I was just saying, the nicest terms possible, it is irresponsible to work within the Democratic Party, you know, without, like, that's just the nicest way I can put it. But I just wanted to quickly say, like, it just really blew my mind planning the event here in um, July 24th, the March for Medicare for All. I just assumed San Francisco would have a huge spot, a huge show of support. Most of our support came from outside of San Francisco. And I'll tell you this, the people that attacked us the most viciously, our revolution, SF Bernie Kratz, DSA. Yep. I I said it. It's funny you said that. It's funny you said that, Eric, because we did um, um, in D.C. We had a huge turnout. But most of the turnout was people who actually came to DC. It wasn't people who was in right. DC. So I, so I understand what you're, what you're talking about because we actually had the same thing too here in DC as well. Um, I was gonna also bring up. I know organizations like DSA they're being paid, but uh, I don't care if anyone right. from DSA get mad. They can come, come, come at me. I'm, I'm fine with that. I'm pretty sure they're being paid. This is why um, a lot of these organizations like DSA and Our Revolution, I'm pretty sure they're getting paid. Well, DSA, just a real side note, DSA, the founder of DSA, his entire theory 
was that they, 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 there's only two parties here. We're only ever going to have two parties. You, you can't fight for any, a, a different system. This is just the system we have. You, know, you can't fight for a third party. You can't fight for another system besides capitalism. So let's try to reform the Democratic Party. I mean, that's literally why DSA was started to begin with, it, to reform the, dem- the Democratic Party. That's why they were started. So when, these, when DSA tries to lie and says like, no, you know, we're, we're not about just being Democrats and vote blue no matter who, it's like, Every single one of your candidates runs within the Democratic Party. You only, you know, you only uh, endorse Democrats. And now it's like they're not even the thing is, is I'd have a little more respect if they could actually challenge uh, the people that they elected, if they could actually hold them accountable and, you know, hold AOC accountable when she won't force the vote on Medicare for all. Have some accountability here. You know, if you if your whole theory of the case is that you can change the system from within, which I believe that you cannot, that it's. It, it, that it is literally impossible to to move a party that is owned by Wall Street left. That is I- impossible right. because the party is beholden to corporate interests. It will never be beholden to the people's interests. That's just what the Democratic Party is. It is a right-wing capitalist and imperialist party. The GOP is a far right-wing capitalist and imperialist party. We have two right-wing parties in this country, zero major left-wing parties. Those are just the facts. And so it's when the, when they try to they want their cake and eat it too. Oh no, we're 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 socialists. We're socialists. When okay, you're socialists who are trying to who are working within a capitalist party that is fighting against Medicare for all, and then you're harassing other people who are trying to fight for the grassroots and fight you know to build something better and try to mobilize people and not funnel them into this party. It just it blew my mind when all this stuff went down and. You know, the end of the day is, look, if, if you guys, if your whole theory of the case is that you can change this party, go change it. But right now, all I see is the Democrats marching f- further and further right, chasing the Republicans. And, and I see other people like you guys who are trying to get out there and make something happen and, and doing it in a way that's about the people and about the policy, Medicare for all, not about giving power to a corporate capitalist party that already has all the power in this country. Listen, people, the Democrats don't need any more money or power. They spent $8 billion on the 2020 election. There was $14 billion spent last year in the 2020 election for Congress and president. The Republicans spent $6 billion and the Democrats spent $8 billion. You're telling me this is, a, this is a party that's for the people when they raised and spent $8 billion to win power? This is not a party that's for the people. It never will be. And I feel like that people not able to handle that one fact just causes so much friction when we could be building something great and mobilizing people to, to, to build something that isn't co-opted by Wall Street and Big Pharma and something that could actually really benefit the people. But no, they just want to keep funneling movements into this party where they go to die. And, and it's hard to watch, to be honest. Isn't it funny, Ryan, that um, we have 31 flavors of ice cream. You can't even get more than two flavors um, in your political party. Isn't that funny? Isn't that funny? Ridiculous. Sukuru? Yeah, there are three things that I wanted to say on the topic. Uh, One is that, you know, as Eric said, back in July, um, it was just so, um, it was just almost ridiculous, you know, almost ridiculous to me that uh, there was like so much um, division and uh, division amongst healthcare justice uh, activists and also, um, you know, uh, so much resistance to a newcomer, you know, like us. And uh, so... Yeah, I mean, as Eric said, it was really hard to uh, uh, get people out there on the street in San Francisco, but not for the lack of trying, because, like, you know, uh, we spent, 
like probably like 80% of our time, like talking to people, trying to convince, you know, people that uh, we are legitimate, you know, they should show up at the march. Um, yeah, so um, yeah, we, we try to really include everyone. Um, but having said that, I think there's a real power uh, in, you know, us being new and being outsiders because we do not owe anything to anyone, really. I mean, not to say like we antagonize people, that's not our objective. You know, we want to include everyone. You know, as 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 we said, but um, you know, we don't any we don't owe any favors to any existing organizations or people. So we can we can be focused on our agenda. You know, which is passing Medicare for all. So the lastly, you know, the third thing I wanted to say, which is kind of encouraging to me. So, um, you know, after the march. Uh, there is a, uh, you know, this group of uh, medical professionals. I mean, they've been in this fight for a very long time, you know, for maybe like 30 plus years, you know. Um, and uh, frankly, I think they are inspired by us. So now they are discussing, you know, possibilities of direct action themselves. And that's encouraging to me. And uh, uh, I really do have huge respect for... Um, healthcare activists, you know, in their 70s and 60s, you know, they've been fighting for so long. And, and uh, you know, I have a, this friend who, who became friend, friends um, actually through July, March, because she helped me a lot for July, you know. And she's like, uh, she's a retired nurse in her 70s, and she is willing to get arrested with us, you know. She's like all for like going on the street. I know, I know. And I met so many people like that. And so, you know, I, I'm, I'm 50 years old, so I'm probably like young, I mean, you know, older than like two of them. But I, I just feel that, you know, um, yeah, I mean, young and old doesn't matter. Like we should just like get together, go out on the street and, you know, get this thing done. What, what would it mean for each of you personally for healthcare to be a human right in this country? And what would it mean for your communities? Oh, that, um, that's an easy question. Um, so getting healthcare in this country, I feel like, you know, you have, once you have your health, you have your wealth, right? So that would mean that you're going to start to incentivize people to not only start their own business, to make more money. Um, you're going to have a flourishing community, um, a thriving community. I don't believe, I feel that the reason why we do have such a disparaging of wealth in this country is because people don't have health. And I think that's what the duopoly is really worried about is why they don't want you to be healthy because they don't want you to cut into the pie. Right. So that's what it comes down to. So people want to understand, like, why would they do that? Why would they care to make sure we don't have health care in this country? They don't want another Jeff Bezos. They don't want another Elon Musk. They already have one already. Right. And you would think that how does that make sense? Like you they don't want they already have their group. That's a big club and you ain't in it. They don't want any other body else in there. They don't want you to take more of their wealth. They already have that already. They already have the people. If, they get, if someone magically gets into that group, sure, fine, whatever. But they they have all the power. They have all the wealth for a reason, right? So they don't want any more people in there. Um, there's a reason why they have to push us and keep us on the bottom because they don't want us more to have more power. This is about power. It is about control. That's what it's about. It's not about anything else. So... Courses having healthcare is going to empower and embolden the community. And I've always said this before. Look at France. People always talk about France all the time. The French have their healthcare. 
they're they're emboldened to do these protests and get out there and do all the actions they can do. Why? Because they're not they're not fearing of not having medical debt on bankruptcy. They don't have that. You know, this is why they have those social savings in their country, because they have their wealth and because they have the health. And that's what the duopoly here doesn't want to happen. They don't want that to be happening here. They don't want that. Um, growing up, <clears throat> growing up mixed race, I had a bit of an identity struggle for many, many, many years. And in high school and in college, one community that always embraced me with open arms was the African-American community. In elementary school, my best friends were black. When I was growing up in um, San Francisco, we had about 15% African-American population. And now it's like less than 3%. Bayview Hunters Point, which is historically black neighborhood, it used to be the Fillmore. That's not historically black anymore, just Bayview Hunters Point. Um, I think something like 9,000 lawsuits resulting from um, cancer that come from it being treated as a radioactive dump. And we're talking about a community wow. that used to be the largest percentage of homeowners in San Francisco, not black homeowners, homeowners, period. So I just, for me, it's just, it's disgusting that we have done this to a group that has, and I'm just talking San Francisco, not even on the national stage, you know, a group that has contributed so much to the success of our city, which as we know, I mean, this is where the Speaker of the House comes from, affects the rest of the country. So if we could do something, if, if we could pass Medicare for all and just push things towards a more livable condition just a little bit, and we could help diversify San Francisco more, get people back to the neighborhoods that they grew up in, because a lot of these people still work in San Francisco, even though they have to live two or three hours out of the city, that would be, that would be the ultimate present for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, I agree like 120%, you know, with both uh, what Sharif and Eric said, and uh, I'm just gonna come from like slightly different angle. Um, so yeah, okay. So for myself, you know, um, yeah, I I will I guess not have debts anymore. <laughs> you know, if I had a Medicare for all, because I I am in debt. But uh, so that's one. But um, but bigger picture. So um, uh, I'm a trans man, but I lived my life for 49 years as woman, uh, and I know that uh, what it's like to um, to try to build up your career. And uh, at some point, like you gain enough experience, uh, you know, any uh, skill sets, and you want to go independent. But what you have on your mind, the biggest worry is healthcare. Because in this country, jobs and healthcare go together. So naturally, you know, and I mean, men the same, but I'm just kind of focusing on women right now because um, there's actually a study. The women, you know, every time she thinks about bec becoming an entrepreneur, her biggest worry is like how, you know, how she would get like health insurance for herself, but not only that, for her family. And as, sing as a single mother, that was always the biggest worry of mine, and that was the biggest concern. So, you know, uh, based on my own experience, I know for a fact you know, lack of healthcare holds up, you know, holds back a lot of women uh, to, you know, uh, seek job mobility to get better jobs or, you know, become an entrepreneur, an entrepreneur herself. 
So, you know, uh, if we have healthcare, single-payer, universal healthcare, whatever you want to call it, the impact, the economic impact that has on this country actually will be huge. And that's like, you know, that's what people are not looking at, and that's not what politicians are talking about, and that's insane to me. You know, you, you know these politicians always talk about growth, prosperity, you know, make America great again, whatever. Well, why not healthcare? Why not provide us healthcare so that we can all, you know, be prosperous and we can all, like, you know, uh, pursue our dreams and, you know, our goals in life? So that's what I have to say. Mm. Yeah, you know, it's interesting is you guys all uh, shared such compelling stories and make such compelling cases. And I think the moral argument for Medicare for all, it's just so clear as day, right? That everyone should have uh, basic, everyone should, should be able to see a doctor when they're sick, right? If someone is sick, and I think about it like 2,000 years ago, if someone was sick, the village would like circle around them and go find whatever antidote it needed to like help them, Right. They wouldn't be like, oh, do you have do you have insurance? Do you have Kaiser? Do you have Blue Cross? You know, they. It's like no, you would you would save the person who is sick, you know. We and so in so many ways we've evolved and we've allowed greed to just prevent just basic necessities. So I just think from a moral perspective, it's so clear to me that healthcare is a human right. Everyone, regardless of economic background, should be able to see a doctor when they're sick. Period. But then. The financial, the economic argument, which which you just made and is not really made enough is, and this is just a fact, Medicare for all, a single payer healthcare system would save our country $450 billion per year. It would save the average American family $3,000. Okay. Th that's like, that. that's a, like a huge tax cut for most families. You know, it's, it's, it, it, it's the only reason we don't have it is because it would it because the a, a CEO of a giant insurance company uh, is fighting to keep all his five mansions and his ten yachts and and have this luxury lifestyle. That is the only reason that we don't have Medicare for all. That that we have this this industry that is standing in the way between our uh, healthcare freedom and our healthcare justice. They're standing in the way between our doctor and our care, and that's the giant insurance companies. They need to go away. You know, they, they, Europe has universal health care. So I just, often we don't hear the economic argument, but economically, it's better for the American people. The people will save money. The country will save money. It's, again, it's just challenging uh, the status quo, challenging these politicians who are owned by these giant insurance companies who don't want to see anything change because they want to keep their, you know, they want to keep their billions and billions of dollars. But our health, I think, is more important. Um, kind of coming to the end here, but uh, where can people go to support your organizing efforts and to learn more about the protests that you're having on October 30th? Oh yeah, you can go to the website. Um, go to um, www.m, the number four, m, the number four, all spelled out, .org. Um, so we list um, the different actions that we're doing. We list all the different work that we're doing. If you have an action um, idea, we definitely will love that. Um, so something that a lot of organizations, a lot of coalitions don't do, they don't, uh, they don't invite the community to say, Hey, what do you, what, what do you want to do in regards to healthcare? How do you want to get involved? We had someone recently just come, um, um, pitched an idea, which I thought was a brilliant idea. Um, and for us an action to do quarterly, um, this is what we're doing, working on right now. So we're always trying to think of new, new ideas and we hope that more people, um, engage with us on Twitter or on Facebook, 
Um, all the social media platforms that we're on, it's easy for us to find us. Just do Google search um, March for Medicare for All. You can find us. We're very accessible. Um, we have our action on Eventbrite. You can easily find us there as well for our action that we have on um, October 30th. Um, if, you're living, if you live in the San Francisco area, we hope that you come down and join us. That'd be amazing. Um. Sharif, Sukaru, Eric. Uh, thank you guys so much for taking the time. It, it's been very enlightening and, and humbling and uh, wishing you guys all the best uh, and uh, we'll be in touch. Absolutely. Thank you thank so you, much Maya. for you're having amazing. us. Yeah, you're amazing. Appreciate thank it. you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you everyone for supporting the podcast and supporting my work. I really appreciate it. Uh, again, go to patreon.com slash amped up if you want to support the podcast as well. And for as little as $5 a month, you'll get access to our bonus content. Have a great weekend, everyone. And we'll catch you next week with an all new episode of Amped Up with Ryan Knight.